to Long Hair Do Care. This is a monthly podcast about queer, intersectional, eco-feminist topics. And I am your host, Georgie Corkery, pronouns she, her, hers. Also, happy to go by they, them, theirs. And today's special topic, or I should say this month's special topic, which is March, is Ecotopia. Now... And if you don't know what that is, you're about to find out. It's super fucking cool. And my special guest, who is also pretty cool from what little I know about him, is Gabe Dominguez. He is the director of Ecotopia Now, which is an Ecotopian radical musical theater, which is just so cool. Uh, hi, Gabe. Thanks for coming. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks, Georgie. Thanks for having me. Will you? Would you mind telling us just a little bit about yourself real quick, maybe two or three sentences? Sure. So my mother is Punjabi and a mix of lots of other stuff. My dad is Chicano and mix of other stuff, too. They met in L.A. and my sister and I are California Productions. And we've been <laughs> traveling this country, making and weaving together art. Both of us, she's a fiber artist and I do music in theater. We suggest an complicated, multicultural, <laughs> untangleable world of culture and freedom and liberty for all people and living creatures. Oh, that is a great introduction. I love that so much. And will you tell me your sister's name again? Kira. Kira. Dominguez Holtgren. I'm hoping to get her to come on the podcast too, because yeah. what she does also sounds fantastic. So again, today's topic is Ecotopia Now. I think at the beginning I said Ecotopia, so oops. But it is Ecotopia Now. Will you tell us, Gabe, what you're most excited to talk about in terms of Ecotopia Now for today's episode? Sure. I'm really excited to talk about the recent breakthroughs, the little cracks in the cement that we've been able to create recently in Salt Lake City Ooh. with the kids of Fridays for Future oh, in Utah. That's cool. That's oh, Now I'm excited to hear it. And of course, as you all know, before we dive into the topic, we have to talk about a few things. And the first thing is cats. Have you interacted with any cats recently, Gabe? You know, I haven't. In person, but in my dream last oh. night, there were some cat appearances. So maybe okay. it was in preparation for our conversation. Here. I love it. It was just sneaking in, it just was being like, hey, in. you know, reminder, you have a podcast interview tomorrow. Exactly. With Georgie. Yeah. They, um, the cats gave me, I can't remember what it's called. There's some, is it a bacteria or a virus or something? You know about this? That like anyone who's like a cat person has it and it's. <laughs> What is it? But it basically, it gets into your brain and it affects your thought processes in some way. I think maybe in relation to cats. And I can't remember what this virus is called. Anyways, I was just hearing it on the Rewilding podcast with Peter Michael Bauer, which is a great podcast to check out. Hell but yeah. yeah, people who love cats, they're just this common, like, there's actually like a, a microbiotic relationship that cat people have with cats. I and think... I got it in this dream. I got that thing. If <laughs> I don't so already funny. have it, because I live with cats, so I might That's so it. funny. I, <laughs> I, maybe I know what you're talking about. The closest thing I can think of is hearing that some rats sometimes will get a virus and then have this affability for cats. They'll really like oh, them. Yeah. And then they'll see a cat and they're like, oh, hey. And then cat's like, <laughs> hey, bitch. And yeah. just, <laughs> you know, tortures them, eats yeah. them, does a thing, keeps yeah. them half alive. And they're just like, oh, you're hurting me. I love you. I don't know. And so maybe that's something that humans have. I could see that. I but... like your cat impression a lot. I feel like that is definitely the attitude of the cats I've lived with. They saw a rat. Hey, bitch. Ow. Yeah. 
Appreciate yeah, it. I definitely, um, sometimes <laughs> I identify with a cat or a dog. I think we all do, right? We identify with different animals just because we spend so much time with them. Yeah. But um, I do love knocking things over, especially when you see, like, <laughs> Karens in the desert that shouldn't be there yeah. and people were just building them to build them. I just kind of, like, go over to them and I, like, look around and I look away and I just... Knock them over. <laughs> and my friends are like, that was such a cat move of you. Yeah. Like, yeah, but they shouldn't be here. Like, that's you shouldn't hilarious. build Karens or they shouldn't be. Nice. Um, that's a topic maybe for another day. <laughs> but, okay, so you saw a cat. You saw a cat in two. your dreams. Yeah, two. two. Yeah. Okay, and you got the cat virus. Yeah. All right. I saw um, a cat, my friend Tansy's cat, named Faye Kitty. Okay. Very cute. I was kind of getting itchy throughout the night. She has two cats, or two dogs and one cat. Um, oh, wow. And Faye Kitty's so cute. Very social. And then Captain Hammy, who I've mentioned on the podcast before, adorable, very social, squished in little face. <laughs> and then a gray street cat. There's a bunch of cats in my neighborhood. I can't, don't keep track of them anymore, but this one was gray and very sweet. And then Shushka, which is my friend Molly and Michael's cat. And Shushka was named after this Russian treat. Michael is from Russia. He's Russian. His family's from Russia. And Shushka translates to dry little bear treat. Wow. <laughs> which I love for a cat. It's like, oh, Shushka. And gosh, she is so social. She just comes in whole hog. She's great. I really uh, like Shushka. But so. we definitely don't want to bring Shushka into the Hyuintas because... Bears. Especially if she's yeah. little, she might be a bear treat. Yeah, she would be a little bear treat. <laughs> that's so funny. That's really cute. I didn't think about that. So, wildlife. Have you seen any cool wildlife recently? Mm. Well, I really like the squirrels that live in my neighborhood. Oh. There was a baby squirrel this fall who oh. ran up to me and nibbled on my toes. <gasps> It was amazing. Like he, he was very playful and really wanted to get to know everybody who's there in the backyard. And I couldn't believe how bold yeah. it was because I thought to myself, this squirrel is, this couldn't possibly be normal because squirrels wouldn't survive in this world if they're that yeah. gregarious and outgoing. Because, you know, they could go up to a cat or, you know, an animal or a human that's just got a shovel and hates squirrels yeah. or, you know, whatever. So. I was I was worried for the squirrel, but at the same time charmed. And it came <laughs> up and literally just I was like, "How close is it gonna get?" And he was playing, and he literally nibbled my oh. toes. And then I thought, "We're gonna be buds." I mean, the squirrel, and I, know, I didn't see that squirrel again, so I didn't. I don't know which squirrel it grew up to be. But um, you're like squirrels... one of you took yeah. a little chunk out of my toes. One so. of these squirrels, <laughs> they're all wonderful, and they they interact a lot. Do you know what kind of squirrel? I don't know. Is it the of... like bigger yellow ones or the smaller orange? They're red brownie. Ones? They're like brownie orangey. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then it's either a fox squirrel or it's a red squirrel. Okay. But my dyslexic brain gets them mixed up because the fox squirrels sound like they should be red, right. and then the red squirrels look like foxes. But I think I have them right. There's like bigger ones. They're chunkier. They're kind of gray brown, and they don't have a white belly. And those ones are the fox squirrels and they look nothing like foxes and they have round ears and then there's red squirrels and they're smaller and they have pointy ears okay. and they have white bellies and those ones are native and then the fox yellow squirrels <laughs> they are non-native but they don't make a lot of noise uh -huh. and the f the red squirrels are like 
cute and they get really pissed off. Okay, like, yeah, those ones. Yeah. yeah, they're really cute. Though. I've had I've been pelted by one of those in a in a park once. Oh, that's nuts. so funny. It was so cute. I was like, yeah, I love how earnestly you believe <laughs> your nut pelting is going to make me like walk faster yeah. under your tree. But oh, they're so cute. <laughs> they're um, so cute. Yeah, well, that's great. You saw a squirrel. Yeah, how about you? What's your um, wildlife experience? For wildlife, for me, I haven't been out too much, so I haven't seen a lot of necessarily like exciting big things. I've always, I always see a bunch of birds, and that list is very long. I see deer all the time. Mm. I'm living in Logan mostly, and there's just there's deer everywhere, which is fun. Mm. But I did see, and this is not fun, a dead moose. I was mm. hiking up. It's called Dry Canyon in Logan. Mm. And I'm sure if, if anybody knows Dry Canyon and you've been up there, you've seen this moose. But we were walking along and I'd kind of heard that it was there. And we were in the snow and I was like, that's a weird rock. And I was like, ah, that's a dead moose just Whoa. in the trail. Some of my friends who are in the harder sciences of the natural resources department, they're all looking at it. And of course, like, oh, how sad. And I was just like, nope, keep walking, can't look. But it just it's crazy to see an animal that big just taken down mm. by whatever it was that took it down on the trail. So that was a sad one to see. Mm. And oh, so big. They're such big, beautiful animals. Mm -hmm. So that's my wildlife for last month in February. Well, move on to conscious content consumption. Is there anything that uh, you want to share for conscious content consumption? Let's see. Maybe two things. I mentioned the rewilding podcast with Peter Michael Bauer. I highly recommend that. It was great. He just did an episode with Sophie Strand, the author, who also ecofeminist, mushroom goddess. Oh, cool. She integrates mythology and the landscape and the mental landscape and social dynamics. It's rich. She's a very interesting Ooh, author. And that he, sounds really good. And the rewilding movement represented by Peter Michael Bauer in conversation with her. I thought it was a fascinating podcast. And then also land back. I was just, I was Googling while I was washing the dishes the other day. I was like, I just want to hear people talking about land back. And so I Googled that, watched some YouTube videos or listened to them. I recommend that too. Awesome. Will you quickly share with people what rewilding is? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm probably going to do a crappy job. So if Peter Michael That's Bauer okay. ever hears this, <laughs> but, but uh, rewilding is the, it's, it's so very related to land back and very related to ecotopia, but it's basically this idea that human beings, like many other plants, animals, other beings around us, have been domesticated mm -hmm. consciously and on accident in some ways, kind of a mixture of the two, depending on how you your ancestors encountered the waves of civilization, yeah. agricultural, city, states. But the idea is basically to put a spotlight on it and say and, and recognize this domestic domestication of the wild, of the feminine, of ourselves, and to dismantle it and to re-encounter our innate wildness and to encounter the innate wildness of the planet and to see what it is the earth wants to do what it is the wild part of ourself wants to do and to cultivate that and to surround ourselves with people and the skills that facilitate a more wild existence. And so in his case, it, it takes the form of teaching people in Portland where he's based and being in conversation with people about how they can sink deeper toward the ground under the styrofoam and concrete <laughs> layers of civilization yeah. back to their 
their wild self. And in the con- and there is no like set of skills that are their wilding set of skills. There are <laughs> ancestral skills like basketry or whatever you know yeah. pottery that are ubiquitous, right, to our ancestors that are all of our birthright. But then there's also, you know, if you're in an urban, super urban context and you don't have access to the woods and the mountains, mm-hmm. you can absolutely still be rewilding there in your way and helping, you know, rewilding looks like Black Lives Matter protests. It looks like learning the native language of your area mm-hmm. and volunteering. It looks like doing radical street theater with a bunch of mm-hmm. you know, climate strikers. It, there's I assume these... just connecting with your community is yes. part of rewild. Basically doing the opposite of what... Well, I argue a lot of society and institution and structures do, which is isolate people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, arguably, that's what um, I heard this in the context of drugs and addiction. Those things can be the result of isolation, but in isolation is where they Mm. proliferate. 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 Yeah. And... The the solution to having people isolated because they're addicted or simply because they're sad or they don't have enough money or they're hungry or any of these reasons, isolation makes it worse. So connecting people is the best way to, I think, be authentic and to be happy, which sounds like maybe it also falls into rewild. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the reweaving. It's very eco-feminist it's a, yeah, the, the, the reconnection yeah because all these strands all of these ends yeah they all are, come together all, and yeah and and our denial of that mm-hmm. is is our undoing yeah yeah it's i could talk about that for a long time and just happiness in general because that's i think the ultimate goal is to be happy mm-hmm. and to enjoy life of course we can't always be happy but i think to have happiness in our lives is good can I say something real quick? What yes. you just said reminded me of something, a wonderful thinker and author named Ashley Saunders, who's a native daughter of Salt Lake City, said once, and I was just like, oh, I love this. And I think she actually heard it from a friend of hers, which is, you can't be yourself by yourself. And I was like, that's just ah. so true. Like, really, this this friend of hers had gone to Yale and was pursuing some degree. He's a he's like an anarchist rewilder, you know, type. And <laughs> it's yeah. just like, I feel like I just, I feel like I'm supposed to be able to be myself here and sort of carry the mountains with me and carry yeah. that resonance. I have this loyalty. I have to fight for the land where I'm from with me, wherever I go. And I find it so hard to be that self, to be myself surrounded by this environment. And I realized when I was visiting home and I was surrounded by all my people and surrounded by the land and we'd just like gone up and done something cool in the, in the mountains, that was where I could be myself. And I realized I can't be myself by myself. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's so true. And that's part of why I think... That's a really cool way to put it. And it's against what we've been taught. You need to be yourself, be yourself in all contexts, be yourself. Yeah. It's like, no, we are contextual. Mm-hmm. Of course we are. Oh, I had... Um... After this little tangent, we'll hop back onto the train. But recently, unfortunately, I had a friend pass away, Matthew Woodman. He's an incredible person. And that was really hard. And something that ended up happening with his passing is that a group of us friends got together. And something that we talked about, and I've talked about before on this podcast and uh, just with other friends in different contexts, is being 
who you are growing up is so many different things when you're a little kid. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because you're trying out different things in different social settings. You're like, Oh, no one here knows me. And sometimes you just have the audacity to try something new or to be flamboyant or quiet or loud or the leader or the smart one. Like you get to try on all these different hats. Mm -hmm. And then as you get older, that person, all of the different things that you've tried out, like, you can be yourself, quote unquote, be yourself, be genuine, whatever that is, in different contexts. But that's still not totally true. Like, the, I'd, maybe some older folks, and maybe that's why we deem them so wise, is that they really can be themselves in all different contexts. Mm, yeah. But I think that comes with a lot of like love and nurturing and self confidence. Right. But with any any trauma, it's easy to fall back to being scared in a new situation and just uh, the idea of being yourself and who yourself is in different contexts, in different places. Um, I still haven't left Utah. I grew up here, and a part of that is because I'm like, well, if I'm not here and I don't have all the people I love and know, mm-hmm. who am I? Right. And I'm still going to be me and I'm still going to make friends. I love talking to people. That's why I started a podcast. But just interesting things to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing your conscious content consumption. Again, that was Rewilding, a podcast by Peter uh, Michael Bauer. Peter Michael Bauer. And then uh, hashtag land back. Hashtag land back. One word. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. My conscious content consumption, it's not totally related to the topic, but it is uh, eco-feminism, I would argue. I want to talk about Jane Goodall. If you don't know who Jane Goodall is, she is an English primatologist and anthropologist. She is the world's foremost expert on chimpanzees and also known for her 60-year-long study of social and family interactions with wild chimpanzees. There were three documentaries made about her, which is how most people people know about her. And for a while, I was a little confused on the order of them because there was a documentary, Jane Goodall, Jane's Journey. And that was a 2010 documentary. And that one talked about all the work that she had done, not in detail. And then the work that she's been doing since as an adult and as someone who was like, I saw this and then I saw how climate change and I saw how exotic trophy hunting and all these things came together. And she's like, well, I knew I had to do something. So I believe that was the first documentary that came out about her. The one that was much more famous and that kind of kicked off a lot of people's love for her, I believe it was called Jane, just capital J-A-N-E. And that came out in 2017. And in that, we see the detailed coverage of her traveling from England to Gombe National Park in Tanzania, where she began this groundbreaking research on chimpanzees. Very little was known about chimpanzees. People didn't think they were smart. People didn't think they had families. They didn't know anything about chimpanzees. And this has footage of her just being this incredible adventurer trying to study these chimpanzees. And it also kind of, it goes over her life and she did fall in love and get married and have a baby and get divorced. (laughs) And it covers all of that. It's beautifully done. It's National Geographic's documentary and it is based off of over a hundred hours of footage some of which her ex-husband did take while they were out there together, which is cool. And she started this. She went out to do that research when she was 26. So I'm 28 right now, and I just can't imagine starting such a journey. Mm -hmm. So that was the 2010 one. And then there's Jane Goodall, The Hope, which, oh, 
that one, I mean, I've seen all three, but this one was really great. That came out in 2020, a time where we all just needed a little bit more Jane Goodall. <laughs> <laughs> it picks up basically where the, the last film, the National Geographic 2017 one, which was award-winning. I, that's in my notes I put there, but it takes off where that one left off. And The Hope features an extensive collection of photographs and footage that spans more than seven decades of her life. So it does have some of the footage from the original or the 2017 and then up to what she's doing now and all the really cool organizations that she started and some hard decisions she had to make. There's one kind of controversial decision that she had made to make an enclosure for chimpanzees and it was funded by the oil industry or something like that. And some people were like, how dare you take money from them? Her response to this, which maybe it's too simple. We could argue it. I could argue it either way. Um, but she's like, this rehabilitation for chimpanzees was either going to be built or not built. And the oil industry is terrible. <laughs> and I am saying that now, knowing that they're behind me and that they're funding this project, but they're doing this and they're making moves. And so between it being built and not built, I choose built. I don't care where the money comes mm. from. I think that might be one of the rare instances where I let that fly. But it, it was cool to see. And it's cool to see all the stuff that she has done and continues to do. She, I think she's over 85 now. So if you don't know who Jane Goodall is, you should watch those documentaries. If anything, you should watch The Hope, but the other ones are great too. I assume you know who Jane Goodall is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but I would I haven't watched the documentaries, so I think I have sort of like maybe more of a pop culture yeah. version of her. Of just yeah, I know she was she studied the chimps. You know, it's interesting. I I've just heard little tidbits from kind of the rewilding world. I think maybe even Peter Michael Bauer said something about that uh her the way she interacted with the chimps somewhat shaped their behavior. Totally. So so that it's not, you know, unadulterated data that she was mm -hmm. able and to And she you know, acknowledges collect. that. Okay. That's in See, really Yeah, in the 2017 documentary cuz she didn't know what she was doing. She was untrained, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Wow. She, really? They just sent her there. They needed somebody. She had always wanted to go. And that's what they cover in the documentary. And then she goes and she does start interacting with the apes. And slowly she's like, I realized that this was not okay, that we shouldn't have been doing this. And we needed to get away from that. Mm. And so we changed our practices and we had to, they had to reorganize their camp because the chimps were then interacting with their camp. And then they would also cause mayhem and, um, <laughs> yeah. It could also be very dangerous. And then she had a child with her too. She just, she had a, she had a baby and she's like, well, this could go really bad. Yeah. And so that discussion, watching that all unfold was really interesting. Oh, cool. I think, of course, there's always going to be something problematic with like a white person going to Africa and being like, I do thing. <laughs> um, but the work that she has done, her acknowledging the things that didn't go well and drawing a parallel between taking care of the earth doesn't just mean taking care of people and it doesn't just mean taking care of the environment and doesn't just mean taking care of chimps it is this huge endeavor and from her oh so many programs have come into play to yeah. address these problems and most importantly give people a sense of stewardship over the places that they love mm. whether that is gombe national park or it is you know salt lake city yeah so and one thing i love about someone like jane goodall is that probably at every step 
I mean, certainly as a woman in her time, probably everyone was like, don't do it. Oh, you okay. can't do it. You're a woman. You know, there's totally. that. And then just, but probably all through her life. She's encountered people being like, well, you didn't do it right because you were interacting with the chimps. Or you didn't do it right because blah, blah, blah. You didn't do it right because you accepted money from the oil industry. Mm -hmm. You didn't do it right because at every turn, people were going to be hating on every choice she made. Absolutely. And I think that's a very ecotopian story because there's no, there's, it is impossible mm -hmm. to do it right. There's no way. Uh, <laughs> And uh, she's doing so much, and so of course there's some. <laughs> yeah. When you're doing a lot, there's a lot of ways to do it wrong. <laughs> exactly. And 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 the idea is just that we are all going to be stumbling toward mm -hmm. ecotopia or toward the rewilding world or the ecofeminist reality. It's like there is no way where we get to be, we get to go there without falling and tripping on ourselves totally. and people tripping us and us and tripping over other people and tripping them. And but the point <laughs> is, is what w the difference? I heard Derek Jensen uh, said that, said this. He's a problematic character but, <laughs> but uh i loved his his books really uh helped me at a certain time in my life and he he said something which i thought was really cool it's just basically like the difference isn't between whether you're doing something uh or no what what you're doing in the in the cause basically it's are you doing something or are you doing nothing hmm. you know what i mean that's the divide are you doing something or you're doing nothing and i feel like someone like jane goodall is an example to all of us that we can Maybe our motives are as simplistic as like, I was just seeking kind of the spirit of Tarzan, <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's, there's a wild root in there mm -hmm. uh, that And that leads to other her. things, exactly. you know? It, and, it, and to the liberation of so many other people, inspira inspiring other people and helping this community of chimps who are definitely under attack. Their community is totally under attack. So I just, I just really hats off. To all <laughs> and Gabe took off his hat, everybody. giving a shit and trying in their way to go for it yeah. despite the haters and Ugh. good for her yeah good I... for you georgie yeah. <laughs> good for you gabe yeah, <laughs> yeah i i love jane goodall y'all should consider watching those documentaries if you don't know about her and or you haven't seen them before all right now the exciting part we get to jump into the interview talking about ecotopia now and gabe my first question for you is what is ecotopia now Ecotopia Now is the name for a program. The initial concept, concept the conceptualization <laughs> of this was to bring a 20-person band, seven dancers, and a score of actors into Utah high schools. Uh, we travel to these high schools by bicycle, carrying all of our equipment. We run a sustainability assembly that is immersive and raucous and punk and gets the kids all sweaty and we're in the gym. The lights are low and the lights are flashing all through the power of the bicycle-powered sound system, which the kids are pedaling to create all the electricity for everything. And we basically initiate them through these fantastic and fun, sweaty ordeals into the climate movement and the climate justice movement. And then following this assembly, there was to be an informational fair where local organizations here in Utah who are working on their particular slice of Ecotopia encounter the kids and figure out if they can, the kids can join up, they can add yeah. their voice, their skills to... Give them the opportunities to jump into the cause, whatever the cause may be. Right, yeah, whatever they're passionate about. And then the pandemic happened. Yeah. <laughs> and so, that, so since then, we've kind of been reimagining what it is. It may still look like what I described when it is fully revamped, but what it has looked like since the pandemic began is experimental, immersive musical theater moments 
is part of this part of protest is part of global climate strikes called by Fridays for Future and the youth student strikers. So that's what it is now. <laughs> but we're reforming. It's continuing to shape up. We have a project coming up this April. Yeah, April, the day after Earth Day, which looks like it might be this project called Ecotopian School Day, which is another theater piece, an interactive life acting moment that we can all inhabit and we get to act out the ideal school day because the school strikers have been saying oh, that is so cool because yeah, the school strikers have been like hey well our schooling sucks it's not preparing us at all to create a world of ecological and social justice which i think i can completely agree with in terms of high school and definitely college and maybe master's degree yeah, which i am currently in <laughs> So there, there's so many things that I want to unpack with what you just said, because you just said a lot. And yeah. a lot of people might not know what a lot of the things you just said are. Okay. One thing is you say, and I saw a video of this, and so I'm keen on bringing it up. You set up the stage and you bring everything in by bike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you tell us what that looks like? And uh, is that fun? Is that exciting? How long does that take? Like, yeah. What is, what does that mean for you all? And I mean, it's, it's bike powered. The whole production is bike powered. So you have bikes that charge a generator or a battery that then charge the production. It's an ultra capacitor, but yeah. Ultra capacitor. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, the bike touring thing started because, well, if people are interested in bands that tour by bicycle and hauling heavy equipment by bike for the fun of it and to make <laughs> rock and roll shows for the world, <laughs> then you can Google Bicycle Music Festival and there'll be lots of footage that comes up from San Francisco Bicycle Music Festival, which was the original one that I co-founded with my friend Paul Friedman oh, very in 2007. Cool. And you'll see footage from Toronto Bicycle Music Festival and Chico Bicycle Music Festival and maybe... I think it's called Fimbisi in Uruguay. And there's a lot of events that have kind of spun off from the original Bicycle Music Festival because it's an open source idea. And you'll see footage of bands, my maybe my band, Shake Your Peace, carrying heavy gear through mountain passes. And part of it is, even though it's a little grueling, it's actually <laughs> weirdly fun to it sounds... haul heavy loads. It's not for everybody, but we find it, you know. <laughs> it sounds fun. and looks like, based on the pictures and videos that I saw, sounds like type 2 fun. Okay. Which, if people... <laughs> if you Okay, so type 2 fun. There's type 1 fun, which is like, we went to a theme park or to the movies or ice skating. You know, we did something that was fun. We went out for dinner and we chatted. Or, you know, we recorded a podcast. Yeah. And then type 2 fun is like, Okay, we're in this chemistry class, this O chemistry class, organic chemistry, and we have to study this whole semester. And so we have a study group, and together we're going for it, mm. and we become friends, and we're suffering through it. Or people who are on sports teams together, they mm. often have type 2 fun when they're training. You know, they're like, oh, we had to run a mile, and our coach made us do sprints, or, you know, we ran a marathon together. That's type two fun. I think part of it is that there's this element of suffering that brings you closer and you're laughing through it, right? You're like, oh my God, this is so intense. And like, I can't wait till it's over, but I'm so glad you're here with me. I'm having so much fun, but there's also this very stressful side of it. We're going to take this chemistry test or we still have 20 miles to run. It's only been six miles and we're running a marathon. That's type two fun. And so being on a bike with heavy instruments, I assume, and all the sound equipment and gear that comes with it it's hard 
and it takes a long time and it's a lot of preparation and I imagine you're like well I want to wear these clothes and then when I perform I want to wear fun clothes so how do I have functional and fun and do I change and that's more to bring and blah 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 yeah that sounds like type two fun it's yeah I haven't heard that <laughs> sounds like a riot you're totally right <laughs> suffering fun yeah 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 there's a reward it's a thrill is it yeah and and um yeah the ordeal the the crucible mm-hmm. brings the gold out you know and yeah yeah. Uh, well, that sounds great. So <laughs> biking with big instruments, it looked like there were some bikes that were modified specifically to take this gear around. Yeah. To... Part of this was inspired by the same culture that birthed a, a, a long bike called Extra Cycle. X-T-R-A cycle, one word. X-T-R-A. Extra Cycle. Extra Cycle. And they're the original long bike, which is essentially a normal bike frame with a extension on the back it's a basically a burly super long back rack that moves your rear wheel backwards a yeah. foot and a half or something I've like seen that this. and with that then you can have you know you can load your groceries in there you can put your kids on the back and mm-hmm. you can you know you can do your daily event a lot of your daily adventures with a with bicycle power when that came out basically it's the same scene the bicycle music festival (laughs) extra cycle crew it's like all these people who just are like we like hauling things with our bikes for some reason this is so cool it's like too fun it's kind of like punk it's kind of rock and roll it's kind of anarchist environmentalist exactly and there's a a major joy element to it it's not just oppositional yeah it's propulsive Ooh, you know, you're really word. you're really cruising in high style with a big smile on your face and mm-hmm. sweat on your brow and muscles, you know, into <laughs> the world. You're, you're suggesting and enjoying the world that you want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the bicycle power because, you know, my wife, Sonia, has always she I met her through the original Bicycle Music okay. Festival because she's a musician. I booked her band. And <laughs> it's really funny because she has never seen the point of bicycle powered anything. <laughs> She's just like, why do you do this? It just doesn't matter. Just plug into the wall. Like, who cares? Well, now you can be like for type two fun. Yeah. Right. My dearie. Exactly. <laughs> but, well, there's that. And I've just always thought there is, to me, it's just, I'm always looking for these portals into the world that I want. You know, this re- the world, the spirit of rewilding, this moment of com- of communitas, of connectedness, and so wherever those doors are, I want to walk through them, even if they're imaginary doors. Like, to <laughs> me, I, I almost, I feel like the imaginary doors are the most accessible ones because it's so hard to find these doors in our normal lives because yeah. they're, they're actually against the law in many cases to go back <laughs> to the land and live, you know, and try to figure out how to live a more land-based lifestyle. That's against the law. And so to say, we're going to power our rock concert our music, our free music festival in this in this major American city via bicycle, people could look at it as absurd or silly or a waste of time or, hey, you're still using a lot of electronics from China yeah. that came from a factory. And it's like, that is all true. But what we're doing is we are, with this theatrical element, there is some emotional, psychological resonance for certain people who participate mm-hmm. in it that actually cr- it's, it creates an altered state of mind. And suddenly we are not only suggesting this world but we actually are inhabiting it like for example in the middle suggesting of this world of a ecotopia of social and ecological justice because <laughs> it's free it's accessible to everybody and anybody can come to bicycle music festival tiny kids old people people with no money people who are super filthy rich tech people like everybody can come uh, and you can participate you can dance you can pedal the bikes 
There are bands of every stripe. We had jazz, we had bluegrass, we had we had rock and roll, we had uh, salsa, we had yeah, electronic <laughs> music, we had punk, all of it. It's accessible to everybody. And then halfway through the festival, we would pack up everything: bands, crew, the audience onto bicycles, and then a band would get on top of a giant stage. Oh that my was gosh! No by way! Human sled dogs, you know, bicycle pow pulled stage through San Francisco, which is a hilly place. Oh, gosh. And then the band would perform live. They'd be facing backwards, but they would be facing a rolling audience of a 1,000 people through the street. So one time we had... That is incredible. I can't... Like, that gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah. And one time we had the San Francisco Conservatory Opera singing duets atop this rolling stage through the city. So How big is the stage? It's the size... It's like about... It's about like a four by eight. You could think of it as like a four by eight piece of plywood. Slightly smaller, but basically like that. Okay, so I was thinking like so big, but that, I mean, that's still big. And that's still a lot to pull. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, man. Could you imagine if it was a huge, yeah. Anyway, yeah. (laughs) And then then it was relayed by radio to satellite bikes through the crowd so that it could be heard through, theoretically. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Well, we went around corners sometimes. It didn't always go um, (laughs) That's so fun. But as we rolled through the city, you know, people who had no idea, of course, bicycle music festivals happening that day, they would stop what they were doing on the sidewalk. They would just stop. People would run to the windows of their houses mm-hmm. and throw open the windows and imagine hearing like, you know, yeah. while Ugh. all these bicyclists are rolling past you. It is, it is a peek into the whimsical, beautiful world that we could create if we are willing to prioritize other things. Yeah. That to me is, that to me is, it's like a, I feel I've set free. Totally. I, I feel unbounded. You said you know, you, know, you want to step through doors even if they're, I think you said, made up. Imaginary. Imaginary. Yeah, sure. Well, gosh, it's just a matter of making the doors. Not that this metaphor matters too much, but, <laughs> you know, once you imagine the door, like the door is there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just kind of stick to the doors that they know. And I mean... We are all familiar and fed up with the phrase, that's just the way it is. Yeah. You know, that's how the Me Too movement happened. We're like, no, this is not the fucking way it is. Yeah. I'm tired of microaggressions. I'm tired of worrying for my safety. Mm-hmm. And of course, those things are still happening. But we've started to reimagine a world and like the discussions around it and the way that good people are suddenly like, I did not know I was contributing to this. Right? And I can't wait for all those good people to be like, oh, I didn't know I was contributing to isolation, to oppression. I mean, we all know that we're contributing to climate change, but contributing in different ways that are more meaningful than others. Mm. And back to the point of you still have a bunch of phones and tech from China. I don't think the point should ever be or will ever be purism. You don't need to cut everything out because we just don't live in a world where that's a possibility that is in itself a form of isolation. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody's like, well, you're a vegan, but you drove a car and you own a car. And it's like, that's not the point. (laughs) You're not a vegan and you also own a car. I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm just doing these steps to live in a world that I want to live in and to create a world that I want to live in. So seeing it to that degree Mm. (laughs) of... Oh, man, I would love to see an opera on the back of a little stage being pulled by bikes, moving through the streets. And I don't know who wouldn't. 
Yeah. So wait yeah. to imagine the door and open it the fuck up. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Me too. That's such a great example too of yeah. That's exactly it. It's a really it's a conceptual hurdle. Like the difference between a world where me too is being amplified and a world where it's not is the difference between an between somebody imagining it into existence and enough people being like yeah. I believe that too. Like I see that story. I see that door too. Mm-hmm. Let's walk the fuck through it. Like yeah. why the hell is this door not remain closed? I imagine a world where these stories are broadcast, totally. where these voices are amplified. I'm going to inhabit that world. I'm going to put on that costume, step onto <laughs> that stage, and that and that's and the world is my stage, and I'm going to enact that story. I'm going to be I'm going to write the hero or heroine or them vin uh, of my of this story. <laughs> I think story. hero and, can be gender neutral. <laughs> okay. The hero and and inhabit it. I'm going to write the script and I'm going to act it out. Yeah. And I get to rewrite the script as I go. It's like it's a very empowering Totally. uh frame. I love theater for that reason because you get to it blurs that line between make believing, playing at yeah. something and actually doing it, especially when you're doing it in the street because it's like wait a second, this is actually happening in public space. Yeah. You know, and yeah. That's that's cool. I hadn't really thought about that in in terms of the acting. I always think about that with music and poetry and visual art, painting mm-hmm. and drawing, but yeah, actually acting it, that's really powerful. If there could be a TV show that was just like everyone was environmentally conscious, like what would that look like? <laughs> yeah. And if everyone was a feminist and if people were treated right, then what would our problems be? And of course uh, there would be problems sure. and it'd be so interesting to see. I want to see that show, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I do I love, too. I'd love to be in that show. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so bike power, that was the question that I asked to spark this conversation. That's awesome. So you bike there, and then you actually have the generators, or I guess you called it a super box Electra? What did you call oh, it? Oh, um, uh, ultra capacitor. Ultra capacitor. Yeah, which is just a little tiny piece of electronic equipment that's about as heavy as a piece of French toast, and it just temporarily stores electricity. It's cool. like a buffer. And okay. It, and so if people stop pedaling, the electricity runs out in a, like a minute. Yeah. You know? But it's not a bat. Batteries are generally really heavy. Yeah. And expensive. So that's a good thing and to bike so, around for sure. Yeah. So ultra capacitors okay. are light. And-, and then, then you're at well, in this case with Ecotopia now, and maybe in the case with the old music festivals, bike music festivals that you did, then that goes to generate or power the speakers and I assume guitars or any instruments or tie table turner. Oh, gosh. What do uh, DJs use? Uh, a con- I think of it as a console, DJ console, but yeah, turntables. Turntables. Yeah. I yeah. guess people might not have turntables anymore. Well, they do. Well, it depends. Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But all those things to yeah. power the instruments and the microphones yeah. and the lights, maybe. Yeah, nighttime. Yeah, the lights, too. That's so great. So you've gone to high schools and colleges, I saw on the website. Do you theoretically. know? Theoretically. Theoretically. Okay. I mean, there have been, been proof of concepts where we brought bicycle power and, you know, sustainability assemblies to high schools and colleges, but we haven't done it in, a, in the Ecotopia Now tour back to back for, you know, a week or two weeks or something like that. Okay. It's been these one-off things, proof Got of it. concepts, but yeah. Okay. And that's with the high schools or... Both, both high schools okay. and colleges, yeah. What high Dr. schools have you performed at, I wonder? Let's see. So Logan High. Oh, so you're up in Logan. Cool. That was a while ago. And then um, Ogden High School. <laughs> boy, uh, Pleasant Grove High School. And then California, we've done uh, Head Royce Academy and 
Castellara, I think it's what it's called. Just different places cool. around. Yeah, different well, schools. if I can <laughs> plug a high school that I think it would be perfect for, um, I'm biased because I used to work there, but it's Roots Charter High School. It's a high school for at-risk youth, and it's farm-based. Mm. So they have a huge farm. They have chickens, they have turkeys, they have llamas, goats, alpacas, sheep. <laughs> and a beautiful garden and kids learn where their food comes from, mm. whether that's the animals or whether that's the farm itself. And it's so cool. And uh, I think that would be a really cool experience. For yeah, them. sounds cool. Where is it at? It's in West Valley, Utah. Okay, cool. Uh, off of Redwood Road. Okay. It's a very cool school and I loved it there. But then I went to grad school and kind of had to say goodbye. And gosh, those kids were great. So you've performed at some schools and what is this reimagining that you mentioned are are you reimagining with schools in mind are you reimagining beyond that and with fridays for your the future which yeah. i'd love for you to just explain quickly what that is to folks sure yeah okay so i'll say what fridays is and then the reimagining so fridays for future is a school strike school climate striker movement started by greta thunberg in Sweden. I think she's in Sweden. Yeah. And I think she was like 14 or something when she started it. But basically, <laughs> if you don't know, she started striking in front of the Swedish parliament saying, I'm on a school strike every Friday. I'm going to strike from school for climate until the adult world gets their act together and starts actually listening to scientists. Why the heck should I go to school and study science? I need to apparently call you to task because you're ignoring <laughs> reality and I shouldn't have to do this. But here I am. And so it caught on. Kids all over the world have formed their own chapters. There's one here in Utah, based in Salt Lake City. Well, I guess there's a few chapters, but the biggest one here is in Salt Lake. And they're striking every Friday in front of the Utah State Capitol. You can join them. They've been talking about maybe moving it to the school board office downtown. But yeah, the, the spirit is the same, and it's basically that. And so I have been providing bicycle-powered sound for them for some years and helping a little bit here and there with some music or whatever it might be, performing and stuff. And then for the September 2021 strike, I was encouraging them to mix it up and to even consider not doing it at the Capitol, just changing, reinventing all of it, changing the venue, changing the story that they're enacting and helping them think about it in terms of, th of theater. Yeah. Who, what character are they playing? What character does the state Capitol play? What character does the public play? And what are you, what are you reinforcing? What is the archetype, the myth that you are perpetuating here through your march and through the content at the strike. That's a that really kind of good question that right? I'm sure can stump a lot of people on. Uh, like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think a lot of us just go, we don't question the scripts for hand. We're like, well, I'm a, I don't know. I just care a lot about this thing. And I think you're supposed to march if you care. And I think you're supposed to march to the Capitol, right? And then you're mm -hmm. supposed to have speeches, right? And then it'd be better if they were bicycle powered, right? So let's do that again. And you kind of fill in the blanks of the script that has already been prepared. Yeah. And you don't question, like, what's the efficacy of this tactic? Because it's just a tactic among infinite possible tactics mm -hmm. you could use to get the attention of the people and to rally other peers, your other yeah. students. And to, and to get coverage and there you go. Yeah. visibility. And gosh, there is so much controversy over what a rally does. Mm. I've heard rallies are just a way for environmentalists, millennials to feel good about themselves. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, to a degree. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Right, yeah. <laughs> they show up for the clean air rally. And they call it good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is that element. And I actually think that's a really important part 
of totally. the event. It's like there is value to that for the movement to see itself mm-hmm. and to be seen and to identify to to reinforce identity to shout together and to feel this feeling of like, I am not just myself by myself. Yeah. I am this larger self and we care about this thing. There's value there. But then it's like, well, how many birds can you feed with one yeah. scone? You know, you <laughs> feed, you know, feed two birds or five birds with one scone. So how do you, how many different ways can you tweak it so that you're getting all mm-hmm. those? My dad calls them twofers. Twofers. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. But yeah. So, so in September, and then most recently in March, the kids still wanted to do the strike in front of the Capitol. So I was just basically like, well, honestly, whatever you guys want to do, I'm, like, like, well, I'm we'll here support to support you. you. Yeah. yeah. So and so I've just kind of been trying to encourage them to branch out. But at the Capitals, we did two different what I would call them rituals. Basically, so the first one is we write on a large piece of paper which represents the Glen Canyon Dam in this case, or any, the mythical dam that blocks us and corks us between... Ooh, and then you tear it apart. Yeah, well, then from, yeah, from the world that we want to be in. Yeah. So people, kids are writing like homophobia and systemic racism and, you know, all these things on the dam. And then at a certain point in the song where there's a dam smash, a dam is exploded by a, a tidal wave of ecotopians hitting it. This is the, <laughs> the kids line up on one side, and whoever's there at the strike who wants to participate, lines up on one side of the terrace in front of the Capitol. The dam is on the other side. And then there's this kind of brave heart sort of speech, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we just ro- charge the dam <laughs> and destroy it in joy and glee. And so that's like, that's this ritual, ritual moment. That's right? a really beautiful ritual. I, that's an incredible idea. And I, the metaphor of the dam is good on so many levels. Right? Oh, <laughs> it's such a, it's so perfect. Like this, this monolith of concrete blocking wild nature uh-huh. for money. And as my grandma would say, designed by a man. Oh, Ugh, I say know. that all the yeah. time. <laughs> Like, oh, that movie was produced by a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that was designed by a man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, not a, inherently a bad thing, but... Yeah, yeah, come on, but... But when you can tell that... Mean. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then and then the ritual we just did in March, it was called Dot versus Dot, Dot, Dot. And the idea okay, is, so okay. there's the world, the adult world, which is the world of period the end school is your curriculum is perfect period yeah. the end dot <laughs> this you is know? what you should learn period dot. the end <laughs> or like our air quality yeah it could use a little bit of improvement but basically we do things the utah way and the utah way is yes. excellent period the end dot. <laughs> you know we're, we're moving at the right pace period the mm-hmm. end so there's that world and they, that was represented by my dad who was dressed up in a really fun costume like a judge <laughs> and all these, uh, uh, some of the kids' parents volunteered, so they all came down regally from the steps of the Utah State Capitol <laughs> with their sign with a giant dot on it. And then the kids had just marched up from Washington Square Park, and they were chanting and just just ruckus and charged up. And they had their sign which said dot dot dot. And so as everyone came down into the space, I said, "This is our struggle." As represented by punctuation marks, the world of period, the end versus the world that is still, that will still be left to the imagination. Mm -hmm. The world that has the last and final word versus the world that we are still yet articulating into being. And so who is going to win this fight? Dot or dot, dot, dot to the end versus the world to be continued. Basically the, 
the judge and his accomplices with their many binders. <laughs> that, that status quo, business as usual, the way we've always done it. Yeah, you know? this and is the way it is. Exactly. <laughs> would stand up and say these things about health, about schooling, about energy, about gov- about politics and government. In each category, they would say that this will never be changed. Go home, kids. We've created the world for you. We've written the script for you. We've figured mm-hmm. it out. Go home. Don't worry about it. Get the jobs that we've laid out for you. Get the education we figured out for you. And in each in each category, the kids would respond with their questions. Why are you spraying poison on the grass? Why are you incentivizing a transition to 100% clean energy? Why? And kids were just running up to the mic and just shouting out. Some of them with like close to tears, just like passionate about like, why the hell are you destroying the world? It's not so hard. It's not so out of reach that like, why are you so stuck? Exactly. In this way, when chances are you're not that happy either. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that is such a beautiful ritual the dot the the punctuation Mm. one of the hopes that i have for myself is that as i grow up i won't close myself off to things and i hope that i can always reimagine a way that something is that was harder for me when i was younger so growing up i hope i can always have a dot 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 and i will think about that metaphor and i think it's important for us to as you know because i'm 40 so i look at these things as there's a the benefit of getting older is that you've tinkered ideally with it enough where you're like I get how this gate latch works now yeah this is what oh the financial system is like this you know there's just these things that I've very slowly probably other kids realized this when they were like 18 yeah well, I learned slowly different ages so I was just like <laughs> different oh things. check it out look this is how this works but then to say okay I understand the dot now I understand how they've created this dot and in understanding it now, I can open the gate latch. Yeah. And I can still let the chickens out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's like still, like there. the benefit now is how dot, dot, dot is brought to bear on the world of dot. And the, the more you're, the more I've been able, had the time to increase my understanding of tiny elements of dot, it, it really informs how I approach my activism, my dot, 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 mm-hmm. because I want to be as effective as possible. And the more I understand the bounds of the cage, I think the more I can understand how we could possibly use the piece of bamboo in the enclosure to catapult ourselves (laughs) over that corner or something. Yeah, well, I think that's a pretty good transition into talking about how you're reimagining Ecotopia now because you said you're mixing it up since the pandemic, and uh, I'd love to hear it. Cool. So one of the main features now of Ecotopia Now's work is this thing we call circle-ups, which is very simply people in a conversation with one another in a circle. It's it's basically, if people are familiar with restorative justice circles, RJ circles, it's just facilitated conversation, formal facilitated conversation. There's often a conversation piece that's passed around. Uh, one person talks at a time, there's no crosstalk, and there's a facilitator asking questions that help people grow closer and get deeper more quickly. And these circle-ups We've envisioned them as a tool for kids to recruit one another to the union, to the Fridays for Future Strike, hmm. Striking Union. What are the conversation topics? Right. So it starts out with the basic introductory question, that a question nobody can get wrong. So it could be just like, <laughs> what's your name, pronouns, where do you go to school, you know, or something like that. Or it could be, if a, you found a magical lamp. And there's a world-saving genie that comes out of it and says, I will give you one magic power to write one thing that's wrong with this world. Yeah. What is the, what do you choose? 
as your magic power, you know, something so like that. You go around, or it might be, let's close our eyes and imagine a place that we love in nature, something that's meaningful to us. Go there for, for a minute and then uh, tell us about that place. Why is it meaningful to you? And it's basically a way to to loosen it up, you know, mm-hmm. get the circle kind of spinning a little bit. And then the next question might be something like, why did you come to this event today if it's at the strike? Or how has it gone for you to talk about your love for nature or your desire for climate justice when you talk to your friends or when you talk to your family? Oh, that's a, I mean, these are all good questions, but that one is a good question in particular. I hope that everyone who's listening to this is thinking of their answer (laughs) to these questions as I am. Right. And it, because I think they're fascinating, especially if you feel alone, right. With these questions that you ask yourself, you're like, God, are other people thinking about this stuff? So if you're in a, if you're in a group of strangers or peers at your school and you're, you're starting to talk about this and suddenly you realize, Oh, that person thinks about it too. And they think about it in this way. It's like, Oh, I'm not so alone, you know, and you get to share you, everybody has a voice the way I think about it theoretically is that youth in particular, but kind of all of us, are marginalized. We're all pushed. We're all separated. Yeah. and We're isolated. And fragmented and isolated. And it's so painful. And so in a way, we're all marginalized. We're, we're separated from planet Earth. We're separated from the living community. We're destroying the whales on <laughs> autopilot on accident. We don't even want to be. We just yeah. are because of what the system we're born into. And it's, it's hard to like live in a system that you don't agree with. Right. And some people, gosh, I mean, for a long time, I didn't know that I disagreed with the quote unquote system. Mm. I didn't know I disagreed with the food system. I didn't imagine it could look any different than it looked mm-hmm. growing up. Yeah. And I didn't imagine that I could be the funny kid in class because I was a girl. Mm. I had to be quiet and shy and sexy, or I had to be sassy and sexy. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I want to be either of those things. Yeah. I'm just like this weird skinny kid, and that's like what I want to be. Yeah. But that wasn't an option. Mm. So mm-hmm. reimagining those things, let alone exactly, I think being isolated climate-wise, and the idea of one student not knowing that another student was also maybe like a climate ally there's not many ways to flag that you're an environmentalist Mm -hmm. and the conventional ways of flagging that you're an environmentalist sometimes to me feel greenwashy Mm -hmm. or there's the new age crystal liquor hippie ideal yeah and those people get written off. Right. And I know those people. I love those people. Some people call me one of those people. <laughs> but I don't necessarily look like it. I have long hair. But I, you, yeah, you I, I don't flag. Right. Yeah. And so when you see other people, it's like, how do I tell you? And we often don't. We don't talk to other people about these very meaningful, deep things. Mm-hmm. So good job for the circle up. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. We're all on the margin. So in, 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 I thought that's... That's brilliant because that's exactly what it's about. Your disconnection, the dis- and this is the eco-feminist like idea, right? But <laughs> the disconnection you feel as a as a young girl growing up and only having these two options. You mm-hmm. can only be a girl in this way or that way. You definitely can't be a funny skinny kid yeah. who just whatever. And you have to be a girl and there's this is what that mm-hmm. means and that's the same war on the fabric of life. Absolutely. And the complexity of ecosystems put in a micro scale on you. That's your, <laughs> that was a war against you and you being able to be yourself and mm-hmm. to grow. 
and we're all marginalized to different degrees, but we are all, we've all experienced that. And some of us don't even realize how we've been marginalized mm-hmm. until we start hearing other voices and realizing that we're all knocking on a door. Mm-hmm. And as you hear the, the thud of someone else's fist, you're like, oh, there is a door there. Mm-hmm. They're keeping me behind a fucking door. What's on the other side for us, you know? So in this circle, we are all, we're all on the margin, but together in a circle, now we're all brought in. You know, it's like we're contained. We're our own container. And freedom somehow is found when people circle up. You know, that is in through that vessel. We can, through being heard and hearing deeply, we, we start to knock on the door and get our way out. It's amazing how sometimes the simplest things can be so profound. Mm-hmm. Just being able to communicate with each other yeah. can mean so much. And Circle Up is something that you would do in conjunction with these radical theatrical musical performances? That's the idea. Yeah. So <laughs> so at the strike we did in front of the Capitol in March, we did that. We did exactly that. So we had the dot versus dot, dot, dot theater moment. And then we went right into Circle Ups. So everyone in the crowd there, instead of having speeches, everyone joined up with a youth facilitator who we've been working with. And so they were trained to facilitate it's not that hard. Anyone can do it, but these, <laughs> these kids are excellent. And, That's awesome. And so they'd circle up with these groups. And so in front of the Capitol, you saw these little donuts of awesomeness and the kids facilitating these conversations. And then at the end, there was an opportunity for kids to join up with Fridays for Future Utah or join the Ecotopia Now email list and basically stay abreast of what's going on in the youth climate movement. And then they had a piece of paper and they signed on it, either a commitment they were going to make or a question they had. Uh, that they wanted to kind of put out into this into the world and then we made a big ribbon of those papers and then we danced around with it at the end and had the closing theatrical circle and then the samba drummers led the kids back down toward washington square park Uh, so that's really cool i mentioned earlier sometimes a rally is just for people to feel better and i didn't mean to talk down on that you articulated it well that has a lot of value in and of itself but then giving them voices in those situations because if i could go to a rally and then i could really talk Hmm. also you make friends and that's a really important part of this world and this life is to make friends that's so incredible that's really cool yeah thanks and then so in the circle ups we want to bring into schools so that's yeah. like that and this was a challenge actually we laid down to the kids because they were trained in to be facilitators we did it at, at the u of u at, they recently honored a poet on march 22nd a poet named Anaya butler is a 15 year old climate activist a black young woman from oakland california who's part of a group called youth vs apocalypse she presented her poetry and had had a conversation. And then afterwards, the crowd was invited to join Circle Ups with these kids, the youth, the Fridays for Future youth facilitators. And they did fantastically there, fantastically at the Capitol. And then we asked them, do you guys want to bring this onto your campuses, your high school campuses, mm-hmm. and start circling up with the clubs, the different clubs at school, and see if we can get these conversations rolling? And there was crickets. <laughs> so it was very shocking for my dad and I, because my dad is part of Ecotopia now, too. He's really the restorative justice person in the group. And we were really just amazed, sort of, that the kids weren't like, yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. So we're like, oh, well, maybe we're going to pivot. So so what do we want to do next then, kids? We're here to help empower that. Did anybody explain why they didn't want to? One of the students who is just, I mean, they're all amazing. But yeah, one of them, one of them said to us afterwards, it might have to do with the fact that as a, especially in Utah, but maybe you know, but these kids in their context, 
if you're speaking up for these issues, I'm sure you're very familiar with this, whatever they are, whatever your slice of ecotopia, you know, speaking up for animals, speaking up for nature, speaking up for queer rights, speaking up for any black people, Mexican people, any indigenous, anything, any of these marginalized groups, you get humiliated. I mean, you're going to get humiliated in this state, um, this country probably, but definitely Utah, where I grew up and you grew up, Mm -hmm. you're going to get your ass kicked, you know, psychologically, emotionally, people are going to tell you you're stupid and you're full of shit and shut up and be quiet. And why are you complaining? And you're such a snowflake and on and on and on. Yeah, totally. You're too sensitive. How dare you? I get that fear a lot. Yeah. This podcast is an outlet for that. Mm. But I also know that I have like 70 people listening to my podcast on a regular basis. And I'm sure most of them are my friends. And then (laughs) there's two people in Germany. Shout out to you. Find me on Instagram and please tell me who you are. I'm so curious why you're listening to my podcast. But it's a safe space for me. And it's also an excuse for me to make friends with the people I interview. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. So you've created this forum, a safe space where you're not going to be humiliated, Mm -hmm. ideally. Um, But that space, I guess, wouldn't be that safe space. Yeah. And and this student was postulating that they're too traumatized to extend themselves, to let down their guard that much, to face that kind of storm. And so... That's basically where it comes down. These are kids. Are, these are just kids, you know? Yeah. So we forget, like, they already have a full plate. And yeah. then on top of that, they're trying to do their climate activism. And what they all are already doing, participating in radical street theater in front of the Capitol building, might be terrifying. That's yeah. Like the edge <laughs> of their comfort zone. Facilitating circle ups in front of the Capitol or at the UVU. That might be the very edge of their comfort zone. So for me, as a 40-year-old person who, you know, I've, my personality is more confrontational and I'm, I'm <laughs> down to just get up and, and be weird because of my, because of so many reasons that doesn't mean that, uh, that's going to be psychologically healthy for other people to yeah. risk that. And so I, I get it. I mean, I, the last thing we want to do is be like, come on kids, yeah. Whoa, <laughs> you should totally do this. Let's go on. So it just, we opened, we opened that door and no one wanted to walk through it. So we're like, okay, cool. Well, Okay, next door. Next door, exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, I trust that an acorn wants to self-actualize into an oak tree. We all are trying to self-actualize. So mm-hmm. it's just a question, like, as a gardener, right? You're trying to figure out, like, what is it that this, yeah. the inherent essence wants to be? How is this going to gonna thrive best? Exactly. Right, exactly. And so. how can I help? What fertilizer... You know, to worm vermicompost <laughs> or whatever can I bring to help them be who they want to be? Because totally. I, I have fit, all these kids are badasses. I mean, they're just amazing. They're doing great stuff. They're going to keep doing great stuff. So that's our question. Yeah. But anyway, so it's some of the, one of the ways it's evolved, Ecotopia Now, getting back to that, is thinking about how do circle ups fit? Because they're very powerful, but who's leading these circle ups? What's the training look like? Is there a way that... We increase the confidence of the kids. So they're like, oh, hell yeah, I could lead a circle up in a prison, in, in a war zone, <laughs> yeah. in, a, you know, in any context put me in, I'll, I could lead a circle up. We're thinking about, do we need to create the conditions where the plant is, feels confident enough? Or is our circle ups not a part of the assembly, the whole approach? We're not sure. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what's going on. Another thing that's happening is... I'm moving to New Jersey Oh, in July, Ooh. which I'm not particularly happy about. Okay, I was going to say congratulations. No, but... <laughs> no. It's, a, I, it's, a, it's a story I can tell you. But basically, 
that so now there's this thought I might be doing Ecotopia now in Philadelphia. Okay. I might still do it in Utah too, or only in Utah, or only in Philadelphia. I'm not exactly sure. You'll figure it out. Yeah, this is this is coming together like right now as we speak. Okay. Yeah. So would you potentially be wanting to start just another chapter and extend it? That's what I'd like to do. I think you could. I think that would be meaningful if you can find the right I mean, it's always about people, right? Yeah. And there's people there. If you continue your work there and then present about it in Philadelphia and then people are like, yo, I, w- I want to do this with you. Yeah. I'm sure it's incremental. I mean, that's how everything is. But um, it sounds so powerful. I can imagine you would gain momentum fairly quickly once you get the hook in. Thanks. Yeah, so. hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So you explained this already, but how did you get involved in Ecotopia? You had... these bike music festivals and then suddenly you were like i want to do something with kids yeah just string along from there or was it more complicated or do you have kids yourself or do you know kids and that's how you got into it yeah so i I do have two kids i have a three-year-old and a six-year-old but the way it happened was i just knew i've always known that i wanted to get into high schools why is it i don't not exactly sure I went to Orem because High. They, <laughs> those spaces are where kids really decide who they're going to be for the next five years. Yeah. And honestly, the next five years isn't that long. But if you decide that, okay, well, I'm going to be the quiet girl versus the sassy girl, and that's mm-hmm. who I'm going to be for the next five years, it's fucking hard to shake that shit out. Mm-hmm. And so if you can be like, hey, I want you to decide to be this ethical person who's happy just decide to be that and everything at like make all the mistakes, you know, go from there, but decide on like these core principles and know that these core principles aren't some goofy, dumb, nerdy thing. They're actually real and wholesome and meaningful and punk. Yeah. 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 So I think it's that. <laughs> I think it's this idea that just high school and college age kids have an inherent punk rock essence <laughs> they are currently conforming there is they're, they're at that moment of transition of throwing off the adult world to a degree and then finding out who they are and on their terms as much as possible but that that ritual of like leaving your parents behind their yeah. values their world their music collection their religions seeing their what else the be. world is yeah and there so you're at you're at this moment where your biology and society is like is starting to build up steam behind you to send you out. I think that's, I think that's what it is. And so I like the idea of finding me at that age and kids like me who were closeted ecotopians. Basically. <laughs> yeah. And just saying, you're just telling them like, you're not alone. There's a whole, look at this mighty triumphant, crazy diverse crew of people of all looks and all genders and all sexualities just letting Coming our peacock and- feathers fly <laughs> and saying there is a world that you deserve that is more beautiful than this one you've been handed. Yeah. And the future is yours to claim. And that is why high school. And so I was thinking about that. And then I have this band, Shake Your Peace. And I've just thought... Which is a fantastic name. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I've thought to myself, like, you know, I played in venues and, you know, concert halls and bars and shit. And I just never liked it. I'm I'm not an alcohol drinking person, personally. Power to anyone who loves it. But I just... <laughs> I don't feel, like, most alive in those spaces. I feel more alive, like, in during the day having these yeah, kind of conversations. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> so, I just... I'm like, that's not my 
my musical outworking is not those spaces. And so that was part of why I created the bike powered sound system too, is because I wanted to do concerts in the mountains, you know, in the canyon, in a field, in the far away from everything else. So I was like, where, where do I really want to play? What, what do I really want to do? What I really want to do is be in a high school gym, just like, <laughs> like rocking the fuck out and, and mixing it with, with these immersive participatory musical theater things. And I was like, that's ob- That's not happening in a club yet or yeah. in a bar yet. So I was thinking about this. And then I encountered my friend, Dr. Ben Abbott, who is a professor at Brigham Young University. Ben Abbott, the one who's being sued. You got it. Oh, gosh. The same Ben. Oh, gosh. So Ben and I are old buddies. We went to Orem High together. And he's he plays mandolin. And he's a great musician on, in his own right. But he's bike toured with Shake Your Peace and performed with me and stuff. And Well, now I'm an even bigger <laughs> fan of Ben Abbott. Oh, yeah. The, for, the layers of his coolness just keep... They're, yeah. For they're those impossible. who don't know, uh, <laughs> there is some legislation that... <clears throat> they're trying to get past them being people I'm not a fan of to essentially to have Utah Lake, which is a shallow lake, be dredged up to form islands in the middle of them, also known as fantasy islands <laughs> by critics, including myself. And then those islands will then go to the developers of the islands, the ones who are dredging it, even though the bed of Utah Lake is owned by the residents or the citizens. So making them into islands and then developing them and then selling them and just making so much money off of that. And the big problem with this, besides the greed aspect, is it would destroy the lake and the mm-hmm. ecosystem. And Great Salt Lake is down downstream from that. And there are conservation efforts going into play that are already working on Utah Lake that we need. And Ben Abbott, a professor at BYU was like, hey, Utah Lake Restoration is the company cleverly named. Yeah, of course. They're not restoring the lake. They want to build <laughs> fantasy islands. He's like, hey, Utah Lake Restoration, your fantasy islands aren't good. And they're like, we're going to sue you for trying to defame us. Yeah. And that shouldn't be possible. So right. I think he's countersuing. Anyways, yeah. cool guy. And then also apparently bike toured with you. Yes. So go Ben Abbott. So Ben, yeah, you know, Ben... He studies Utah Lake ecology, by the way. And uh, so, yeah, he and basically all the scientists that he works with were like, this is categorically catastrophic. <laughs> for the lake. There's no way you can possibly spin it. Like, n- no science is behind you. That's basically what they said. And so, so they brought a slap suit against him. And so, anyways, but the point is, is he studies water systems around the world. One of the things he was working on, one of his projects is studying thermokarst which is a phenomenon in the in the arctic and how as climate change melts these ice deposits basically and i'm going to do a crappy job of explaining this exactly <laughs> it how it affects nutrient levels in in aquatic systems and and further degrades their health the national science foundation funded that project and part of the nsf's grant is that they require the scientists have a broader impacts program of some kind. They bring the scientific value to the broader public because most of us are never going to read scientific papers. Yeah. We appreciate the work the scientists are doing and studying thermocarst and on and on, but we don't, most of us ordinary people don't get to encounter that yeah. science and, or make, it doesn't benefit us in our daily lives in a direct way. Okay. But, you know, so broader impacts programs are things like Ecotopia now. Okay. And bringing I saw... climate science into schools and saying, 
but in the least boring way possible. They say, like, here's what scientists are understanding. This is what it means to you. Yeah. Uh, this is what it may mean to you, I could say. And so, anyway, so I was telling Ben at the Timpanoga Storytelling Festival, I really want to get into high schools. I want to bring Shake Your Peace into high schools. I don't really, I'm not precisely sure how, but I want to just raise the alarm and get kids activated and get them unionized, essentially. And then Ben was like, National Science Foundation. Because <laughs> exactly. I saw it on your website. And that was yeah. uh, something I did want to ask you is, How's National Science Association involved? Yeah, so Ben was like, well, we're writing this grant right now, and we need a broader impacts program. Do you want to submit that as your idea as part of our grant? And so this was like four years ago or something. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then a year passed. The grant was successful. So then we got this funding to create Ecotopia now. So that's how it it started. I was like, sweet, now I have a budget to finally create this you know wow that's so exciting dancers (laughs) that's a lot you know it's a lot of logistics and with the grant we have there's no money in it really for anybody but the Mm -hmm. but it's enough to pay everybody who's involved yeah which to me is like that's all that matters because it's the proof of concept yeah if we can show that it's rad that it has an impact the kids who are being affected love it then we can ideally get more funding and keep yeah. it rolling, you know, and reach more kids. And, and I uh, think yeah. the more people see stuff like that, the more they want to be involved. First of all, yeah, congratulations for getting NSF and all that stuff. But I have gone to music festivals that are smaller. We've all heard of, like, Burning Man and Element 11. And to me, those can be fun, but that's all they are. Mm-hmm. And so I can only imagine being a kid... And it's similar to when I went to the Utah Pride Festival. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. And this is doing something. This is for something. I'm reimagining the world right now. Mm -hmm. Looking at all these different people, all these different shapes and sizes and genders and people being able to express themselves. So Mm. seeing that was this moment I will always value. Mm -hmm. And I always want to go back to those spaces versus like a burning man. Cool music festivals, whatever, but... There's something that still feels so inherently wrong and institutional about those things. Mm. And so hearing this, and if kids are able to go to that, imagine what they're going to grow up and do. They'll be like, as a kid, this thing lasted, maybe it only lasted five years. I don't know how long this has been going on. But they're like, yeah, I went to this thing before the pandemic. And then I wanted to do something like that when I grew up. Mm. And just the repercussions that could happen from this is awesome to think about yeah right what seeds yeah what where will the seeds land what could grow mm-hmm. from it and that's not something that's not data you could ever provide for nsf right, yeah so. I know. that's the hard part about that yeah. part yeah but it's the valuable part i want to ask before you plug all your stuff and how people can get involved is there anything else that you wanted to share about ecotopia now mm, i guess if you or someone you love works for the national science foundation <laughs> or you ha- your last name happens to be rockefeller or or uh, dump key or any of <laughs> any of the people who are have a lot of money in their family foundation and this sounds interesting to you we could use more funding <laughs> um, so please find us through www ecotopianow.org and get in touch with me because um, we'd love to keep it rolling. And otherwise, of course, people could get involved. If any of the things we've talked about, any of the buzzwords sound interesting to you, (laughs) whether you're interested in climate justice or 
education, progressive education, you're interested in mental health, thinking about circle ups and that sort of thing. If you're interested in the theater, you're interested in uh, if you're a musician or musically inclined, if you're in stage production, any of the theater arts and those that surround the theater arts. If you're into bikes, you're a bike mechanic, <laughs> electronics oriented person, all of these types of skills would be useful. We'd love to fold you into the team and hear what you're inspired about. See how we can bring that to bear potentially in our programming. Well, I guarantee everyone who listens to my podcast fits into that category. And I would say yeah. at least half of everybody else fits into that category one way or another, if not over half. That's great. So if they want to reach you, again, go to www.ecotopianow.org. Yes. Okay, cool. I will link that in the show notes. I'll also put in all the conscious content that we talked about as well as I assume you're on Instagram and you have social medias. Yeah, so I, I suck can, at Instagram, but yeah. YouTube I do too, yeah. but I'll connect you there as well. Okay, so. you can also go to shakeyourpeace.com if you want to hear some of the music that oh, we're yeah. doing. That's Shake Your P-E-A-C-E. And then you can see the most re recent performance ritual thing we did in front of the Capitol in March hasn't been posted up online yet, but it's dope. The it's a rap <laughs> like the kids' response, their dot 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 rap that we do is it's on fire. It's well, that's great. cool. If <laughs> if this uh, episode comes out when that's out, I'll be sure to link it okay, in the cool. show notes. So um, thank you, Gabe, for coming on. I need to thank AJ Vanzabin for the intro music. As my dad always says, use your head and be clever. Bye, everyone. Ciao.